You're listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity titled, Meeting Eye to Eye, a patient-provider exchange on improving treatment for neovascular age-related macular degeneration through sustained delivery, is provided by MedEticus and is supported through an unrestricted educational grant from Genentech. Before beginning this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Here's Dr. Arshad Kanani. Hello and welcome to this CME webinar, Meeting Eye to Eye, a patient-provider exchange on improving treatment for neovascular age-related macular degeneration through sustained delivery. I'm Arshad Kanani with CRI Associates in Reno. Here are my disclosures. And I'm honored to co-chair this program with, with my good friend, Dr. Dante Piramici from California Retina Consultants. And uh, we are very excited also to have uh, Doreen, one of my longstanding patients here, and we'll have a discussion with her about uh, her disease and how living with neovascular AMD has affected her as well as the treatment burden and other issues. You know, we have been practiced for decades and, and really for patients with neovascular AMD, we really didn't have any treatments uh, uh, in 80s and 90s and thermal laser was introduced followed by submacular surgery and really none of those techniques were improving or stabilizing patients. PDT was introduced in early 2000s and really slowed the progression but no visual acuity improvement was noticed in majority of the patients. And then came the groundbreaking work uh, with anti-VEGF um, agents, and they have really revolutionized uh, our treatment for patients with neovascular AMD. We know that Anchor and Marina led to the approval of ranubizumab, followed by VU1 and VU2 for aflibercept, and more recently, Hawk and Harrier studies uh, with bolacizumab with the recent FDA approval last year. These are the approved uh, agents uh, that we have, as well as off-label bevacizumab that uh, is also used for treatment of neovascular AMD. If you look at the data, we know that uh, all of these agents uh, in the trials um, really led to robust visual acuity gains. Um, Anchor and Marina, obviously, we didn't have any treatment, so had observation or PDT. In, in view one, view two trials, we had a flibercept. Uh, every four weeks or every eight weeks compared to monthly ranubizumab. And in Hawk and Harrier, we had uh, a flibercep on label every eight weeks after three loading doses compared to brolocizumab every eight or 12 weeks after three loading doses. We know that that trial also met the primary endpoint of non-inferiority. But this is a clear issue here. What we see that um, the results we get uh, in randomized clinical trials as you can see here on the left, uh, in terms of visual acuity gains, we cannot mimic those in real world. And you can see that where patients in real world gain two to four letters, and it depends on the study. We just published a large uh, analysis, the CRIMD study, really showing the same thing, that there are minimal gains in vision, and over time, patients lose vision. If you look at the treat and extend clinical trials. We're going to talk a little bit about the approach today also. You can see that the gains in those trials are actually pretty good uh, while decreasing the treatment burden. We know this is the study I was mentioning that in, in the real world you have under treatment, which leads to vision loss over time. And really this sets the stage for need for sustained 
delivery. Now, I can tell you that, but how about my colleagues? And this is the PATH survey for American Society of Retina Specialists. And you can see in 2018, the, the top unmet needs were reduced to treatment burden. 73% of retina specialists said that we need agents to decrease treatment burden for patients. And we're going to hear from our patient here today and have a discussion about that, as well as need for longer acting uh, agents or sustained delivery systems. And 50% of retina specialists uh, said that there, there is really a need for longer acting therapeutic options for our patients with neovascular AMD. Dante, as you saw that ASRS uh, PATH survey really showed most of us are looking for uh, longer acting uh, and sustained delivery systems and also reducing the treatment burden. What is your experience with your patients? What do they tell you about what is uh, their biggest uh, uh, burden when uh, getting treatment for neovascular AMD? Yeah, I think my experience is pretty similar to my colleagues in that uh, we, I think we got great treatments. These anti-VEGF agents have really made all the difference in the world. But over time, it becomes burdensome. I think it's rough on the patients, it's rough on the medical practice, and it's rough on the patient's families too, because many of them are bringing them to their appointments. No, I think those are great points, Dante. I think the injection fatigue is real for patients. And, you know, we are lucky to have Doreen with us Today, Doreen has been uh, my patient for last over six years now. And I'll tell you, she's one of the most compliant patients I've ever uh, seen. And, and for that reason, uh, her visual acuity is actually 20-20 in both eyes. So welcome, Doreen. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for your time. And Dante and I are really excited to have you join us. So Doreen, tell us about uh, when you got diagnosed with neovascular AMD and how it affected you. And I know you also have a friend who have the disease. So tell us a little bit about that and, and, and how you took it and, and what really it means to have this disease and living with it. Well, um, I went in um, to see the doctor for uh, cataracts. And, um, uh, of course, that's, I wasn't concerned about having cataract surgery, but... Anyway, he's uh, looking in my eyes, and he's dictating to his assistant, and he says, macular. And I think my heart stopped. And then he looked in my other eye, and he said it again. And I said, what, what are you saying? And he said, well, he said, I, I can't do anything about your cataracts till you see Dr. Kanani. I was in a state of shock. Uh, luckily, I got in to see you the next morning. And uh, you are wonderful because you saw that I was a mess. I think I cried all night. And uh, you said, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You're not going to go blind. You're not. We have treatments. Because I have a dear friend who is a neighbor, and she's in her 90s, and unfortunately, she got macular before the injections were around, and so she pretty much is blind. I mean, she when I go visit her, she says she can see my hands in my lap, and that's about it. 
And so that's all. I thought that's what was going to happen to me. So anyway, I've been seeing you for close to seven years. And your my vision is still good. And um, I guess the real burden is coming to see you. I went every month for at the beginning, and then we got it out to two months. I think I've gone three months before, but pretty much it's, it's uh, eight to ten weeks, I think, is usually what it is. Thanks, Doreen. When you talk about burden seeing me, is this having a driver? Is it sitting in my office for three hours and seeing me for 30 seconds? What, what is the real burden and, and what is the burden after you get your treatment? Well, if, um, if I get both eyes done the same day, um, no, I'm not going to drive home. Um, so I do have to have a driver. The wait time is long. And now with COVID, you know, there's um, you, not room for everybody to sit in the waiting room. Uh, so that's, you know, a little worse, but, um, I don't know. You know, this is what I tell my friends. It's not pleasant to get an injection in your eye. Uh, it's not pleasant for a few hours after, cause you really can't see very well and do much. And it's not pleasant to sit in your office for hours, but you know what? It is what it is. I will do it. So I don't go blind. So who brings you in, Doreen, if you're getting both eyes? I know your granddaughter sometime and some friends, right? So there's also a burden on the family from this oh, yeah. disease. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I always have to check, like, the friend who was just here helping me get all this set up. Uh, she's taken me many times. And um, my granddaughter, but now she can't do that anymore. But, um, and, you know, if I... I've left my car there too, you know, driven myself there and then left my car there and somebody picks me up and then we go back and get my car later. But I mean, I've been lucky because, you know, if I call somebody and say, are you free to do this? And then they go shopping or whatever for a couple hours and then come back and get me. So after having an injection in both eyes, it probably affects your day the rest of that day. And some of my patients will say it even affects them the next day or two or three, depending on some cases. So I was just wondering about your experience. No, both eyes is definitely um, worse than one eye at a time. But, the, you know, the problem is that do I want to go back more often <laughs> for all this sitting there? Um, so I try to get both of them done at the same time. Um, I, never ha- I never have a problem the next day. Uh, it's usually a couple of hours that I really can't see. I can't read or, you know, watch TV or anything like that. And then uh, sometimes it hurts a little bit after. But um, but I'm always fine by the next day. Wonderful. You get a gold star. You get a gold star and good and good vision. Thanks, Doreen. Now we're going to have Dr. Dante Piramici talk about current treatment burden reduction strategies. Thanks, Dante. Arshad, uh, thank you very much for including me in this. I think that, uh, as we've talked about, anti-VEGF therapies have been great. Um, and since we've been using them, probably we first used bevacizumab in a mass basis, but ranibizumab, brolocizumab, 
of Flebrisep have made a huge difference for our patients. And initially, I think that uh, we were just happy to have such great results. But over time, we've seen that patients tend to fail to get treatment as we would recommend in the long term for various reasons, and one of them being the burden of therapy, and that visual acuity can decrease as a result of not getting enough treatment. It can decrease for other reasons too. Certainly the atrophy can progress, the disease can progress despite good therapy, but burden of therapy and lack of following through with therapy seems to be a big reason that some patients so as, as typical retina specialists that we are, the clinical trials had very regimented treatment strategies, but we initially right away began to look at other strategies to try to reduce treatment burden on patients, extend the durability of therapy for our patients. You'll find that most physicians are using this treat and extend therapy strategy. And there's been a number of clinical trials that have looked at this as well. But there are patients in these studies somewhere between, say, 20% and uh, 60% of the patients actually being able to be extended to a a 12-week interval. And Arshad, I'd be curious to know um, from your experience, there's a whole spectrum of therapies that are needed if you're using a PRN strategy. Have you seen this in your patients as well? Yeah, exactly, Dante. I think we learn from the Harbor trial. And then on a daily basis, in our clinical practice, we see that, you know, patients need individualized treatment. And, you know, I would say a third of patients are stick, uh, you know, still around every four to six weeks, a third, maybe six to eight weeks in my practice. And then a third can probably go more than eight weeks. You know, initially, I think that uh, we've really used retinal thickness fluid in the retina, fluid under the retina, the size of pigment epithelial detachments as a goal. Our goal has always been to get rid of all this fluid because that was an indication of disease activity. And that having fluid in these compartments meant that we hadn't completely stopped the disease. I think that there's been a real shift in our how we think about neovascular AMD. And I think of it now as a process that is uh, somewhat physiologic in the fact that for some reason it may be ischemia, it may be the buildup of drusen. There is an ingrowth or a signaling for an ingrowth of new blood vessels. And these new blood vessels in many cases may be providing nutrients, oxygen, glucose, and other things to the RPE and photoreceptors. And so there may be a benefit in some cases, and we see these cases of non-exudated VAMD patients with pigment epithelial detachments. So we know there's neovascular vessels there, and it seems like perhaps this is maintaining the eye in these cases, nourishing the photoreceptors in RPE. And so all fluid may not be bad, and, and we've learned this more recently. And we've also learned that different types of fluid can really have different clinical implications. And to summarize, I think when there's fluid in the retina, cystic fluid thickening of the retina, the neurosensory retina, we generally want to treat that. In the day. And we'll look at some of the data for that. So this was some data here, post-hoc analysis of the CAT, the VIEW trial, and Harbor trial, which really looked at subretinal fluid and interretinal fluid. And we, we can see in these trials that interretinal fluid when there was more intraretinal fluid, particularly when it was in the fovea, it was a reduction in visual outcomes. 
Subretinal fluid was just the opposite. Subretinal fluid was correlated with better visual, acuity, visual acuities. This is some data here as well from the Harbor trial. Again, persistent interretinal fluid was inversely correlated with visual acuity. One of the other things that's come out recently is that fluctuation in fluid, patients that have more fluctuations in their fluid over time seem to have worse visual outcomes. And we've seen this in the Cat Ivan trial and the Hawk and Harrier and the Cedar and Sequoia data. This is a, a grouping of all this data here, the cat, the hawk and harrier, cedar sequoia data. And you can see that these are bicortiles and the, the larger fourth quartile, the patients with the larger amounts of fluid fluctuation. And this is a change in best corrected visual acuity. And you can see that in all these trials, there's a diminution when there's more fluctuation in fluid. So again, not only do we want to have therapy that can be extended for our patients to reduce the burden, but there may be a benefit here as well if there's not so much fluctuation in the, in the uh, treatment itself, but more of a sustained, continuous therapy. Doreen, I'd be interested from your standpoint in what treatment strategies that Dr. Kanani's done with you as far as have you been treated every month or do you come in every six weeks or has it changed over time? Um, What's been your experience, Doreen? Yeah, it has changed over time. I have I have been able to go several weeks sometimes, and um, uh, you know, like I said, it, it, when I started out, it was every month, but it's not every month now. Um, I would say I think it's been eight or maybe nine weeks now since I've been there, so I don't know what it's going to look like next week. But um, but you know what? If you could come out with something where we didn't have to come in as often, that would be great. And, and that, I think, is what we're going to discuss in, in the next few sections. Super. I'll, I'll be uh, all ears. So Doreen Dante, uh, Doreen was on monthly, and then she gets bilateral. So I think one of her eyes can go a little bit longer, but I think just for timing, we are between six and eight weeks. As you heard that she doesn't really want to come see me anymore. I feel sad about that. So so I just bring her in between six and eight weeks and she has done great. What would be an ideal amount of time to go with between needing a treatment, do you think, Doreen? Even if it was every three or four months, you know, that's only three times a year. If it was four months. Um, yeah, I mean, six months would be heavenly. All right, I'm going to talk about, or, or actually Arshad and I are going to talk about some emergent management strategies that I think can help with the burden, increase the durability of our therapy, and hopefully end up with the same good visual outcomes and anatomical outcomes that we've experienced. One of the real exciting things that I think is going to be the first major breakthrough uh, as far as durability and reducing treatment burden is going to be the port delivery system with ranibizumab. This is a uh, novel drug delivery, really essentially reservoir. It's a permanent refillable interocular implant. We place it surgically in the pars plana, but it can be refilled in the office multiple times, uh, as you see in the, in the diagram down below. And it should allow the continuous delivery of ranibizumab into the vitreous cavity. And it's a simple device. It just follows fixed law, simple first-order kinetic diffusion. The port delivery system 
was investigated in a phase two clinical trial, the latter trial. And in this trial, it was compared with monthly ranibizumab intravitreally. In the high dose group, we found very similar visual and anatomical outcomes. But on average, the port delivery system needed refill every approximately every 16 months. And about 80% of the patients could go at least six months without needing a refill. The device continues to release measurable amounts of ranibizumab out past 18 months. So it correlates well with what we saw anatomically in our patients. But we got similar visual outcomes. So similar visual outcomes in the high-dose group compared to monthly ranibizumab. So much fewer treatments, uh, much fewer refills, but similar visual and anatomical outcomes. This brought us to their Archway trial, which was a phase three clinical trial, to evaluate for non-inferiority and equivalence of the port delivery system, the high-dose 100 milligram group, once again compared to the standard care, which would be monthly ranibizumab 0.5 milligrams. Patients were randomized, and the primary outcome was a change in best corrected visual acuity score from baseline, averaged over weeks 36 and 40, and certainly a lot of other secondary visual and anatomical and safety outcomes were looked at. This is the primary endpoint of the port delivery system. The port delivery system in this study was refilled mandated every six months, and it was found to be non-inferior and equivalent to monthly ranibizumab injections. And you can see this in the graph below. There was an absolute difference of 0.3 letters comparing the ranibizumab group to the PDS high dose refilled every six months. This is the visual outcomes. Uh, there was no change between or no difference between the two groups, the port delivery system group or the monthly ranibizumab group. I should note that these are not naive patients, naive to anti-VEGF therapy. These are patients that have shown a response to anti-VEGF therapy. And on average, the patients had five previous anti-VEGF injections. So they presented in the study with good baseline visual acuity. On average, it was 20 over 32. Uh, in the in each of the groups, and it was maintained at that high dose group. So this is a real challenge to identify patients that respond to anti VEGF therapy, identify them early with a neovascular disease, and begin treatment. And you can get very good outcomes. The problem now is going to be maintaining this injections, and the poor delivery system may be a way of maintaining these great results over many months or years. Again, this is a surgical procedure. There certainly are some concerns with a surgical procedure. Vitreous hemorrhages occurred only in 5% of the cases. Initially, in the beginning of the latter trial, there were a lot of vitreous hemorrhages, and they modified the surgical procedure to have a scleral cut down and cauterization of the choroid prior to entering. And in that trial, they reduced it from 50% to 5%. And going forward now, we see in the Archway trial, 5% vitreous hemorrhages, and most of them are quite mild. They all res resolve spontaneously, and none of them needed a vitrectomy to, to treat this. Cataract rates were similar between the ranibizumab monthly intravitreal group and the PDS group. Conjunctival retractions or erosions can occur. Again, we close this implant with the conjunctival and tenons. But in 11 cases, there were some retraction. In most of these cases, they could be successfully fixed with a flap revision or a partial thickness corneal graft. Endophthalmitis, which is probably the most worrisome complication of a surgical procedure, occurred in four cases. 
Three of these four cases were associated with conjunctival retraction. So with meticulous surgical procedure, monitoring for the possibility of retraction and fixing it early, we may be able to mitigate this and reduce this this, uh, complication. Most of the patients, the vision returned to baseline. One patient had irreversible visual loss. Again, this is a complication we don't want to see. We see it with intravitreal injections, but certainly we want to reduce this. And we've seen that happen with intravitreal injections. And I think we can mitigate this as well. Regmatologist attachments occurred in two patients in this trial. And both of the cases were fixed successfully with a vitrectomy and the patients have continued in the trial and are continuing to get refills. There was one case of a dislocation of the implant into the vitreous cavity. Uh, did not result in an open globe. The conjunctiva was still uh, closed over this. It occurred during a refill procedure. We think that the incision initially was made too large. It was successfully retrieved and the patient's visual acuity was back to baseline. This is the procedure, the surgical procedure I mentioned. It's 3.5 millimeter scleral cut down. It's a scratch incision that we do. Uh, we want to have it very even on the, uh, on the sides. We expose the choroid using laser. We diathermize this. We, it's uh, overlapping burns, particularly in the corners, because we found that this is where the bleeding was coming from in the cases. And the eye is entered with a 3.2 or slightly smaller keratome. The implant that has been pre-filled with ranibizumab is placed in the spot and secured to the sclera. And then the conjunctiva and tenons are meticulously closed over the implant. But I do, I do think this is going to help a lot of the patients. It may not be for everyone, Arshan. And I think that there are, you know, some patients may be happy just coming to the office every three months rather than having to have a surgical procedure. But I think patients that are needing very frequent injections and, uh, may benefit quite a bit from this. And most of the patients in the study really were happy with this and preferred this over the intravitreal injections. Thanks, Dante. Uh, Excellent uh, talk about port delivery system. And really, the Archway data is really exciting. Uh, You know, in a phase three trial, getting uh, non-inferior and equivalent outcomes uh, with port delivery system versus monthly ranibizumab injections. We're going to be reviewing uh, gene therapy uh, trials that are ongoing. Obviously, we have early data, but I think uh, the data from these trials look promising. Uh, first, we'll talk about RGX314 followed by ADVM022. RGX314 is a, uses a novel AAV8 vector to g- deliver a gene uh, for an anti-VEGF fab uh, similar to ranibizumab. Um, it is uh, delivered uh, through subretinal surgery. Here you can see a vitrectomy is first performed with the induction of posterior vitreous detachment, followed by a delivery of the drug um, using a subretinal cannula where a blub is made for the delivery of RGX314, um, and then an air fluid exchange is performed. RGX314 is currently also ongoing um, uh, clinical trials using supracroidal approach. RGX314 phase one two uh, study is ongoing, is fully recruited, is a dose escalation design, um, looking at five different cohorts. Primary endpoint is clearly, obviously, safety, followed by secondary endpoints of change in BCVA and CRT. Uh, this is a snapshot of the BCVA data. We have uh, data for all five cohorts for fir- first year. You can see uh, mainly the visual acuity has been maintained. We have data for uh, the first three cohorts for two years, and you can see cohort three patients have gained 14 letters. 
in terms of durability, uh, uh, you know, 50% of patients have gone over two years in cohort three without requiring any rescue injections. In terms of treatment burden, you can see there's a significant decrease in treatment burden. Again, patients in cohort five, uh, they have a reduction of 85%. In terms of safety, any new treatment safety is crucial. Uh, RGX314 has been well tolerated across all doses. No serious treatment emergent adverse events have been seen in the study. There have been no clinically uh, determined immune responses, drug-related ocular inflammation or post-surgical inflammation beyond what is expected from routine surgery. Let's talk about intravitreal in-office gene therapy, ADVM022, uses a novel 7M8 uh, vector to deliver a gene for aflibercept uh, in the eye using a standard intravitreal approach that we are all used to uh, delivering um, in clinic, and it is designed for continuous delivery of aflibercept. Optic is ongoing a phase one study looking at uh, two different doses uh, in four different cohorts, cohorts one for high-dose cohorts, cohorts two and three our low-dose cohorts. Uh, also, cohort one and two are using 13-day uh, PO steroid, and the learning from those cohorts led us to a change. We're using six weeks of prophylaxis with topical drops in cohort three and four. In terms of BCV and CST outcomes, they've been uh, pretty impressive. Uh, patients in uh, cohort one have gone median of 72 weeks without any rescue injections, and cohort two and three have required some rescue in terms of visual acuity, it's being maintained, and so is CST. In terms of safety, again, super crucial to look at that. There have been no ADVM uh, 022-related um, non-ocular adverse events. There have been no deaths and discontinuations. There have been cases of inflammation in some of these patients, and that have been responsive to and manageable with topical eye drops. Cohort 1 and 2 use 13-day PO steroids, and we learned that some patients needed more uh, treatment and topical eye drops were introduced in, in uh, cohort three and four uh, for six weeks and inflammation has been manageable. In terms of uh, decrease in treatment burden, you can see there's a 100% reduction in cohort one where not a single patient are required rescue. In cohort two, two and three, there have been 87% reduction. So Dante, um, I know you're involved in the gene therapy trials. What are your thoughts on this? Is this real? or this needs more work for us to see if this is gonna be an option for our patients? To the first question, yes, I do think this is real. Real from the standpoint that it's definitely shown a proof of concept in both of the trials that you've demonstrated. How will this fit in? I don't know yet. I think it's too early to tell. I think we're, we're asking the body to do something a little abnormal to start producing this protein. And on the short term, it seems pretty safe. We're not getting inflammation. We're not having a lot of complications. But the real test is going to be the long term. What happens to the cells that we transduce that we start making little biofactories in there? No, I agree. I think it's very promising. Early data, obviously, and we need to have long-term efficacy as well as safety data to see how we can implement uh, gene therapy to treat our patients with the neovascular AMD. Now let's uh, see what Doreen says, Dante, about the port delivery system data you presented and then the gene therapy data that I presented. As a patient, what does this mean to you, Doreen? Well, it's exciting. It's exciting that, um, you know, that people are working on this and hope, you know, hopefully we can get something like this so we don't have to get the injections all the time because... Uh, it's just not a pleasant thing to go through. 
These are really exciting times for retinal physicians as well as patients because I think the future is looking really bright with uh, sustained delivery approaches that can decrease uh, treatment burden for patients, but also uh, improve long-term visual acuity outcomes and really address the unmet uh, need in patients with neovascular AMD where we see vision loss in the real world. I want to thank our audience for their uh, time and attention, and I also want to thank Dr. Dante Peramici, as well as our guest, uh, Doreen, uh, for participating in this activity. This activity was provided by MedEticus and was supported through an unrestricted educational grant from Genentech Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. This is CME on ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.